If you want to grab your message notes, um, grab a Bible as we jump in uh, to this morning's message. We began a new series, um, really, that kind of kicked off our theme for the whole year um, last week, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I start by telling you, it was New Year's Eve, and we were getting ready to go on vacation the next morning. In fact, we actually had a 7 a.m. flight out of San Jose, so we were leaving really early the next morning. Um, And I don't know what it is, but there's always just so much to do when you, you go away. And so it was the night before, but we were still scurrying around, you know, throwing stuff in suitcases, putting stuff in the car, getting everything ready. And if you remember New Year's Eve, it was really stormy out. And so we're doing all this stuff, running around, getting ready. Um, the wind is howling outside when all of a sudden there's a boom and boom, suddenly the power at our house goes out, just goes pitch dark. Um, now we could look across the street and actually our, our neighbors on the other side of the block, their power was still on, but something happened so that just our little block, all the power, um, was out and it was pitch dark. And, and I, the truth of it is there's probably a never a convenient time for the power to go out, um, right? But for us, it just seemed super inconvenient. Everything was really dark. We had to, you know, find the flashlights and get out candles and, and finish packing. And then finally, we just went to bed um, still in the dark. And uh, it was kind of a big pain for us. Now, eventually, the power came on just before we had to get ready to, to leave the house about 3.45 a.m. And we made it to our flight. And in the end, it ended up being just kind of a an inconvenience uh, for us. But I know for a lot of you, you had it much worse than we did. In fact, I'd just be curious by show of hands, how many of you lost power sometime in the last uh, couple weeks? How many of you had power out for at least 24 hours? How many of you had power out for 48 hours? How many of you had power out for three days or more? How many are here just to charge your cell phone this morning? I mean... (laughs) Seriously, make yourself at home, hang out for a bit, charge your phone. But yeah, absolutely. If there's one thing I think that we have all noticed this week, one is that that power is kind of fragile, but something we've noticed in our area and all across California um, is that when the power goes out, everyone notices, right? We become dependent on our power. So everyone is affected. And when the power goes out, you can't just keep going on like nothing has happened. And so keep that thought in mind because today, uh, here at the beginning of 2023, our theme for the year is called Alive in Us. And our message today is about uh, God's power, God's Holy Spirit power alive in us. So you may know that for the last several years, each year as a church, each calendar year, we choose kind of a different theme that helps us kind of stay focused as a church, focus the things that we're going to study at, the areas that we need to to grow in. And we've tried to, over the years, be very intentional and on purpose with that by looking at a variety of different books of the Bible, kind of systematically through the Old Testament and New Testament. We've tried to focus on what they call the whole counsel of God. And so each year's got kind of a theology or a doctrine theme, and we're trying to be very systematic about that. So way back in 2017, when we kicked this idea off, uh, we started with the question of who is God? And we actually looked at the very foundational books about the nature and character of God, uh, Genesis and Exodus, and did some other studies in what is classically called theology. 
the study of God himself. So that was 2017. Then in 2018, our theme was, who am I? And we started to talk about, in light of who God is, who are we as his children? And what is our identity all about? And we talked about that uh, throughout the year. 2019, our theme was the incomparable Christ. And, And our goal was to fix our eyes on Jesus, as the scripture says, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we saw that he's Savior and King and Lord and all of these things in a study that's known as Christology. The study of Christ is Christology. 2020, our theme was We the Church, and boy, were we going to need that study in 2020, because I don't know if you remember, but things kind of got a little wacky in 2020, um, which on the one hand, we had been talking about all along, that the church is not a building that you go to. The church is not a worship service that you attend. The church is a movement of God's people here in our community, in this local church, and all across the world. It's a movement. It's a family. It's a body. And so when we went through that season where we couldn't meet together in the same ways that we normally were, in a way it was great that we were studying this idea of the church. And as we studied ecclesiology or what the church is about, I think we came through 2020 with even a deeper understanding of what the church really is, more than just a place to to worship. In 2021, our theme was We Believe. And among other things, we spent a lot of time in the year in the book of Romans, which has some of the deep theology of the faith, as well as the the, uh, life of of David. And when we talked about we believe, we talked about what are the core beliefs that we have as followers of Christ. And not only what does it mean to be people who have an understanding of those things, but what does it mean to be a person who lives out their faith? That's called Pistology 2022, which we just finished up last year. Our theme, you may remember, was called Made for This. Um, It was all about living our life on mission. In fact, maybe you got tired of us saying we are made by God and for God to live our life on mission, to live with purpose. And we spent a lot of time talking about that in 2022. So now here we reach 2023 and our theme that I'm so excited about, the words are, the, 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 the saying is alive in us. But it's all about a study of the Holy Spirit. Um, for you theology folks, that's called pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. That's not going to be the only thing that we talk about for 52 weeks, but it'll kind of uh, be a core direction for us. It'll help us choose the books that we study, the things that we study as we move forward throughout the year. Now, if you were here last week, Steve did a great job introducing this, um, and he mentioned last week that especially for the last kind of hundred plus years, especially um, in North America, um, people have tended to fall into two kind of extreme categories when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So there are some folks that are all Holy Spirit, all the time, right? And, and that's great, but they're all about the signs and the wonders and the prophetic word and the, the emotions and the outward manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And they want to just, you know, see that, that fire of the Holy Ghost. Now, there are others that get kind of nervous about all of that stuff. And they say, well, you know, it's a little easier to understand God the Father, a little easier to wrap our minds around um, God the Son. And so, um, you know, it's easier to kind of focus on the things that, that you know know. And and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to fill in our blanks on our sermon outline, and we are going to just be fine. You know, we're not going to get too crazy about any of that stuff that we can't see and we can't um, understand. Yet here's the goal, really for any of these topics that we've, we've talked about, but especially, I think, as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Here's our goal with any of our Bible teaching here, is that we would understand what the Bible says, in this case, especially about the Holy Spirit. We are going to study this topic 
to understand what the Bible says. But if we only study the Holy Spirit as a topic and don't experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we really will have missed the point. So our goal this year, and you might want to just write this down, our goal is not just to know more about the Holy Spirit. That's part of it. But our goal is to know the Holy Spirit more, to know the Holy Spirit more. And so with that in mind, there's a question that I want to ask you. And I want you to think about this, obviously, today, um, but even throughout the year. And the question is this. If suddenly the Holy Spirit were to leave your life, would anyone notice? Would, would you notice? Now, I want to be really clear. This is a hypothetical question. That's not the way the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave our life. When, when Christ sent the Holy Spirit, he indwells a, a follower of Jesus. So his, his Spirit's not coming and going. But just hypothetically, let's just say that his, the Holy Spirit were to leave your life and not be present anymore. Would anybody notice? right? Or would, would you even notice? Or would things just kind of go on uh, like normal? Or think about it from our church perspective. Let's just say we met every week and the Holy Spirit decided not to show up. Could we just go on like normal? You do the music, the message, you do all these things, and you go on like, like nobody notices as business as usual? Because Steve actually shared a quote last week. I thought it's a great quote, and um, I'm going to share it also because I had it in my notes before um, uh, I heard it in his message. Um, But this is from the late A.W. Tozer, and I love what Tozer says here about the Holy Spirit. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Well, I hope that's an exaggeration, but that's what he says. 95% of what we do, you could just do with or without the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. And this is true. As you read through the New Testament and the early church, very quickly you see that they are utterly dependent upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. For them to understand who they are as Christians, for them to embrace the the ministry and the the mission that, that they're called to fulfill, they are just dependent on the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there is no such thing as a, a church absent of the leading of the Holy Spirit, just like there's no thing as really a Christian person who's living their life apart from the Holy Spirit. So again, the question I'm asking you to wrestle with, and I think it's a good one, as an individual and as a church, what would happen if the power went out? What would happen if things went dark, the power went out, and the Holy Spirit were to leave your life? Would anybody even notice? Now, In the Bible, there are actually two kind of main images that are used to describe the Holy Spirit. Um, They are wind and fire. Wind and fire. There's other different ways that the Spirit is described, but commonly we see wind and fire used to describe the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to talk about fire in some of the weeks to come, especially as we study the book of Acts. Um, But in light of all that we've kind of been through uh, in our state in the last uh, couple weeks, I thought it would be super appropriate that we talk today about wind. Talk today about wind. Again, Steve kind of mentioned some of this last week, but in the Holy Spirit, there are two common words um, for spirit. So in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the word is ruach, ruach. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the word is pneuma, pneuma. And what's fascinating is that both ruach and pneuma have kind of as their roots and things that they are related to is the word for wind, wind or breath. So 
So the word ruach speaks about the wind of God's created spirit that blows across creation or when the, the breath of God fills the lungs of, of his prized creation, humanity. That is the ruach, that is the breath of the wind of God, his spirit that is active. Then in the New Testament, when Jesus starts to explain what a life following him is like, he talks about a life of, of the spirit. And he explains it as like someone who's born again of the Spirit. And he has this just awesome conversation with this man named Nicodemus. He's kind of a religious leader and he knew about Ruach. But, but, but Jesus is going to explain it to him like this in John chapter 3 verse 8. He says, Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. They're filled with this holy wind, if you will. Acts chapter 2, again, we're going to study that next month. But this is what it says in Acts 2. It said, suddenly, at the coming of the Holy Spirit, a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So the question is, if God reveals himself as wind, the Holy Spirit as wind, why does God choose to, to use that phrase? Well, if you think about it, wind is one of the only things that at least I can think of that is both non-physical, but it's also tangible, right? You don't have to look very far around our city these days to see that wind, though it is non-physical, you can't see it. You, you can see that it's very tangible, right? So uh, what that means is, is you can't see or contain or grab a hold of wind, but you can certainly hear the wind. Has anybody been kept up by the wind at night in these last few, few weeks? Absolutely. You can hear the wind. You can step outside and you can feel the wind. You can look around and you can see the impact of the wind. In fact, we came back from vacation and one of the things that we found was this invisible force that nobody could see blew through and blew the gate of our fence right off its hinges and down on the ground. Nobody saw the wind come through, but you could see the impact of it. And the Holy Spirit is this way. You can't see him, but you can feel him and experience him and see the difference that he makes. But here's the thing. That tends to make, especially some of us, a little bit uncomfortable. Because wind, as we were saying, can't be, can't be caught. Wind can't be boxed up or, or boxed in. Wind cannot be controlled. And let's be honest, most of us prefer things to be controlled, we even want God to be um, controlled like that. In fact, I, I heard someone else kind of describe the relationship between uh, especially the church and the Holy Spirit and a person in the Holy Spirit as comparing uh, the church to a sailboat. And this is uh, what was written, and let me just share this with you. It says, you know, a lot of time, money, and resources have been spent in building big, beautiful sailboats, talking specifically uh, about the church. So a lot of resources have gone into building these big, beautiful sailboats, and there are many people like like myself, um, who work on the sailboat and who have read the manual of the sailboat. They know that the boat, they know the boat inside and out. They go to conferences about sailing. They read stories about other famous sailors. They have charted a course for the boat. They have mapped it out and have a five-year plan and they know the safest route. They have been, they've even modeled their sailboat after other big successful boats. And then he says this, and this is all fine and good, but the truth is there is only one thing that really matters when it comes to sailing, and that is 
The wind, the wind. You can spend a lot of time and energy to prepare a sailboat, but the question ultimately is a question of wind. And the wind blows wherever the wind wants to blow. You might tell that, by the way, to your five-year plan or your carefully charted course. Wind doesn't care. The wind is going to blow where it blows. The job of the sail is to be raised up and to catch the wind, to receive the wind and let it be your power. And so here in 2023, it is my prayer, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, alive in us, blow. Blow like wind. the, The Spirit is already blowing. The question is, will we be people that will raise our sail and let him power us and move us forward in your life and as a church? That's where the power comes from. So then maybe the next question is, if, if the, about the power of the Holy Spirit, is what does it mean then to be filled with the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit? Because maybe you hear this phrase and you're not exactly sure um, what that means. The power and the Holy Spirit are connected together many times um, throughout the Bible. And one of the places that we see this, if you want to turn there, is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And it's kind of a familiar uh, passage there. Paul is writing to his beloved friends at the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. He prays for them, and he says in verse 17 of Ephesians 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. By the way, isn't that a wonderful Trinitarian verse? Did you see that? Right there, you have the Father, Son, and Spirit. All God, all active, right there, three in one, one in three. So as I, I, I pray that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And he starts to describe this spirit of wisdom. And, and I want to skip down to verse 19 because that's where he talks about power. And he says this, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of his heavenly realms. So in other words, Paul prays that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, which we are if you're a follower of Jesus. But then he describes that power, and he describes it in the most glowing terms possible. Just look at some of the words that he uses there. He says that it's, it's incomparable. You can't compare it to anything else. It's great. It's a mighty strength. In fact, it's the same power. How powerful is it? The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and one commentary I read on this, and I just love it, so I'll share it with you. He says this. Uh, it says, Paul describes the power in the strongest language he can find, both by speaking of its surprising magnitude and by using all of the synonyms possible. So in other words, what he says is the great orator, the great uh, author, Paul, literally runs out of words when he's trying to describe the power of the Holy Spirit. He says it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. But here's the thing. If you're like me, that does a couple things for you. One, it's, it's exciting. And you think, yes, I want that. I want my life to be filled with that. But if I were honest with you, sometimes that can be a little intimidating as well. Because, you know, what's, what's that going to mean? And, you know, what all the, about all this stuff? And, and one of the questions I have is, if, if that's the way it's supposed to be, I look at my life now, and, you know, I, am I really experiencing things in that way? And it just kind of creates some, some questions, right? Um, 
And it reminds me of a story uh, that Steve Jordan, a friend of mine, told me um, about some high school kids. And these high school kids were from kind of an inner city in the Bay Area and kind of rougher place. And these kids started coming to a a Young Life club at their school. And Young Life is a place that kind of shares the the message of Christ with the students. And it especially focuses on telling the stories of Jesus and the stories of the early church and and those kind of things. And so these these high school students came and started to hear the the messages about Jesus and the church and those kind of things. And, And before long, their hearts were really moved by this. And they actually accepted Christ, said, we want to become Christians as well. And so they accepted Christ, uh, which was awesome. And the Young Life leader says, well, you know, one of the things you need to do now is you need to start going to a church. You need to start attending church. And so these guys were like, okay, we've never been to a church before. And it was hard to find one that they kind of fit into. But uh, they started going to this, this church, and they were faithful. They would go every single Sunday. And after a while, the Young Life leader met with these students and um, said to them, well, hey, you know, how's things going at the church? And they said, well, it's great, but we, we have a question. He says, what's the question? He's like, they kind of look at each other and they say, when do we get to do the stuff? You know, like, they're like, well, what are you talking about? When do you get to do the stuff? And they kind of look at each other, you know, the, the stuff. Well, what, what's the stuff? He said, all, that st- all the stuff that you told us about before, all the stuff that we heard about in your stories and read about, when do we get to do the, the, the stuff? And I think sometimes when we think about our life with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's kind of what we think. When, but when do I get to do the, the stuff? What does it mean to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? And so all year long, we're going to be kind of looking at that, that question. But I want us to focus um, for the rest of our short time this morning on kind of three places that we see the power of the Holy Spirit described. And I, I hope and I think that you're going to be really encouraged by this because these are all things that literally could happen in your life and my life um, today. So we want to look at three places that we see the power of the Holy Spirit um, described in, in the New Testament. And the first one comes from Acts chapter 1. So if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that Acts chapter 1 is after the Gospels. Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, but it's before he's ascended to be to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. And so his disciples are kind of wandering around wondering what comes next. And they're afraid. I mean, is this going to cost us our life? What do we do next? They're kind of maybe wondering, when do we get to do this stuff? And so Jesus tells them, when they say, what are we supposed to do? He says, well, we'll just wait. And that's one of the things we're going to have to learn to do is wait on the Holy Spirit. So he says, just wait. And then in uh, Acts 1.8, he says in this famous verses, he says, but after you wait, then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So the power comes that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so one of the first things that we see connected with the Holy Spirit's power is the power for us to be witnesses for Christ. Because here's what the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit is all about promoting Christ, glorifying Christ, making Christ known. And so when he lives inside of us and starts to transform our life, that's what we become about as well. The Holy Spirit wants to make Christ known through us. And so Jesus says, you're going to get power. And the first thing the power is going to help you to do is to to be a, a, a witness for him. And boy, were the disciples going to need it, right? Because they were going to face all sorts of problems and challenges and and difficulties along the way. 
but they face it with this new power living inside of him. And so we're called to be witnesses for him. In fact, every Christian is called to be a witness for Christ in at least two ways, maybe more, but in at least two ways. And here's the good news. Both of these ways are specifically mentioned as things that the Holy Spirit helps us to do. So the first thing is we need the Holy Spirit's power to be a witness for Christ with our words. We're meant to be witnesses with our words, the things that we actually say. And for some of us, that can be really intimidating to open up our mouth and to speak for Christ. But this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or don't worry about what you will say. Anybody else worry about what you're going to say? Jesus says, don't worry about that. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So Jesus says specifically that, that if you're kind of nervous about your words, which most of us are, that the Holy Spirit will help us with those words. And I want to be really clear here, because first of all, that the you know, to take the step and obey this. But uh, what this doesn't mean is it's not a substitute for preparing or studying or knowing the word or those kind of things. I teach uh, the preaching class at Hope of the Nations in uh, Bible College in Tanzania. And every time I go to Tanzania and teach this class on kind of how to prepare a sermon and be ready for those kind of things, I always have some African pastors who point to this verse and they say, well, we don't need a class on preparing anything. We just stand up and the Holy Spirit tells us what to say. You know, if you were to ask the people in their church, are they good preachers? They'd say, not really. They say the same thing each week. So what I tell them is this is not an excuse to be lazy. Sure, you do the work and sometimes the Holy Spirit will change it and move it around or sometimes throw it all together. But the reality is, is the Holy Spirit is always at work. And if you're a preacher or a teacher, this is not an excuse to not prepare. But what I always tell them is, you know, the Holy Spirit, I'm dependent on him to speak for every message I give. He most often speaks on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, when you're preparing it, when you're thinking ahead. And so that's kind of a side note there, but this is not a, an excuse to not prepare or not study, but what it is is an encouragement that you can speak the words, that you can be a witness with your words. But that's just one of those things. He also gives us a be, to, the power to be a witness with your actions because people are looking for the words that you say, but you know what else? They're looking at our lives and if God's spirit is in us and Christ is in us, we are a witness with the way that we live. One of my favorite verses, kind of a life verse for me, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul is talking about this combination between preaching and actions. And he says this, he says when he came to the Corinthians, and here's the great apostle Paul. He says, when I came to you to minister among you, I came with great fear and trembling. You're like, really, Paul? You fear and trembling? But he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I want, I want my preaching, I want my life to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And so, so Paul says, I could give great sermons, but then your faith would rest on me. What you really need to see is the power of God to change a life. So, right, he can transform our words, but he can also transform 
our, our actions and our lives. And you see this time and time again throughout the New Testament. I'm thinking especially in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 gives us this beautiful, beautiful kind of comparison between what he calls the life of the flesh, the life without the Spirit. And he says the life of the flesh is filled with all kinds of things. It's this long list. It's sexual immorality and drunkenness and uh, anger and selfishness, kind of this long list. But then he transitions and he says, but there's also a difference, which is the life of the Spirit. And then he starts to say, this is what the life of the Spirit is like. And he lists things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He says the Holy Spirit gives you a power to be a witness with your actions in your transformed life. And so that's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. If you're struggling in some of those areas, are you leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you letting his wind blow your life in that way? So the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ. The second thing is the Holy Spirit gives us power, and I love this, gives us power to do hard things, right? Because nobody really likes to do hard things, but the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do those challenging, out of our comfort zone, hard things. And I'm thinking specifically about the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, we just finished Christmas and and talked about this, so this should be at the front of your mind. But you remember, uh, the angel appears to, to Mary. And the deal with Mary is, hey, you're a teenager, you're not yet married, you're a virgin, but the, 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 the angel says you're going to conceive a child and um, that child is going to be the savior of the world. So that's like a pretty hard thing for a teenager to do, right? That seems like a pretty overwhelming thing that, that Mary was, was faced to, to do. But this is what the angel says to Mary that's so reassuring. He says, Mary, I know this is really hard what I'm asking you to do, but the Holy Spirit, God's breath, God's wind will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And isn't that a beautiful thing? To say, I want my life to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. That people would look and they would see my life, yes, but they would see through me and see God. And one of the ways she did that is by doing this really hard thing. Because look at Mary's response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May it be fulfilled in me. And here's the deal. We all know that God calls us to take steps in our our faith and and in our life. And and I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a step of purity in your life or growth in your inward life. Maybe it's a, a ministry thing. I don't know what it is, but it feels hard to you. But here's the reality. If we only do the things that seem kind of easy and fit our skill set and fit our gifts, do we really need the Holy Spirit anyways, right? We're just operating on our strength at that point. And one of my prayers for my life and really one of my prayers for this church is that when we get to the end of 2023, we would look back and we should see some things that God did that are beyond the things that we could do with our own resources, beyond the things that we could do with our own intelligence and our own will and our own hard work. We would look back and we would say only God could do those things, right? Because otherwise, we're just depending upon our power. And one of the ways that we're going to experience that, quite honestly, is to step out of our comfort zone and to do hard things. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit, I promise you, try and see, the Holy Spirit will catch you. And the Holy Spirit will blow you along. 
Here we are on the, the day before, the day that we celebrate Martin Luther King's um, birthday. And I'm always so inspired by Martin Luther King, among others, for, for this kind of thing. Because obviously he was called to do something very challenging and, and very hard. And he kept going. Literally, it cost him his, his life in the end. But it was hard for, for Dr. King, and he admitted this. And, and in one of his uh, sermons in 1967, he said this. Listen to these words. I love this. He says, I don't mind telling you this morning, this is the great Dr. Martin Luther King, I don't mind telling you this morning that sometimes I feel discouraged. I, feel dis- I felt discouraged in Chicago. And as I moved through Mississippi and Georgia and Alabama, I feel discouraged. He says, living every day under the threat of death, literally, he says, I feel discouraged sometime. Living under the extensive criticism that he was receiving, I feel discouraged sometimes. He says, yes, sometimes I feel discouraged and I feel my work is in vain. But then he says this, even when I feel my work is in vain, then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. How could he continue on and do those hard things and say those hard things? He said, you know what? It's not my strength. The Holy Spirit has to blow through and revive my soul. Otherwise, I am nothing and I am going to quit. And so the Holy Spirit says, yes, you can be my witness. And yes, you can do hard things. And then the third one, and I hope this is just an encouragement to you this morning. The third place that I want to point us to that power and the Holy Spirit are connected to is that the Holy Spirit gives us power to have hope even when things seem really dark, even when there doesn't seem like there is any hope. And the great scripture here is Romans 15. Romans 15, the very end of Romans, Paul, again, is just kind of encouraging the church in Rome. And he says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Where do you get this hope? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to have this hope that comes not from within you, not from some circumstance, but from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this so much because a lot of times when we tend to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit or people talk about the Holy Spirit, they're talking about kind of these big outward manifestations, these things you can see and touch and feel. And Paul says, one of the places I need the power of the Holy Spirit is in this inward place in my life. It's quiet. Nobody else can really even see it in my life, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit nonetheless. It is just as supernatural to have some outward expression or manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It is just as supernatural to take someone who doesn't have any hope and to let that hope be born in them. And the Holy Spirit blows through and is blowing through this church and is blowing through your life that you could find those things, joy and peace and hope and those kind of things that we would be able to experience that in a way that would consistently um, lead us to have hope no matter the circumstances. Well, as we close, I want to tell you a little story. I I mentioned to you that um, uh, on New Year's uh, Day that we were heading out on vacation. We had this 7 a.m. flight um, out of San Jose, and our family was actually going to Hawaii. And so we had a great uh, trip in Hawaii. It was amazing. The weather was perfect, by the way. It didn't rain at all. So I seriously, I thought about you like that much. And um, so uh, we were on our way to Hawaii and we caught our 7 a.m. flight. We started flying. It's a little over a five-hour trip um, by plane to Hawaii. And about three and a half hours, a little more than that, um, into the trip, we started noticing something kind of weird. One of the flight attendants um, kept coming back and like looking out the window 
And we're like, there's nothing down there but water for hundreds of miles. What is this guy looking at? But he kept coming back, looking out the window, and we wondered about it. And then finally, after maybe the third or fourth time looking out the window, um, the pilot comes on over the loudspeaker, and he says, "Uh, this is your captain speaking. And then he says, "Uh, I don't want anyone to be alarmed. Now, when the captain says, I don't want anyone to be alarmed, what's your first feeling? I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed. Like right away, straight, straight up. He says, I don't want anybody to be alarmed, but we're having problems with one of our engines, right? And so he says, we're having problems with one of our engines. And so um, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to shut one of our engines down. And um, he said, so you might feel a little bit, but um, we'll, our, our plane is going to slow down. We won't be able to go as fast. We're going to lower down about 10,000 feet. And then he said, and oh, by the way, that we are going to land as soon as possible. Like, as soon as there's land, we're going to land. So, again, but then he said, but don't worry, you know, don't worry at all about this. Um, he said, you know, we, we trained for this. Uh, we can handle this. You got enough fuel. Everything's going to be fine. Um, but they started uh, heading towards the, the closest Hawaiian island, which was Hawaii and, and the airport in Hilo. And so they said, we're going we're gonna to slow down. We're going to land in Hilo as soon as we um, can get there. Uh, another half hour or so comes by. Uh, again, he comes on the loudspeaker. Same thing. Uh, you know, don't want you to be alarmed. Of course, we're alarmed uh, by this. And he says, um, when we get there our landing is going to be a little rougher than you're used to. <laughs> and they said, and also, don't be alarmed, but all along the runway are going to be all the emergency vehicles. And <laughs> don't worry, but all of their lights are going to be on. So he said this, but again, we trained for this. We've got this. And I don't know how, if you've ever been on a flight when something's gone wrong before. I mean, you can just sense the tension in this place go up to here. And so everybody's like super quiet, attentive, seatbelts on, uh, all that stuff. And um, we come in um, to land and people are holding hands and praying and singing hymns. No, they weren't doing that, but they, people were praying for sure. And... Um, so, um, actually, the pilot and the crew did an amazing job, and they ended up, they landed the airplane. It was a little rough, but not too bad, and everybody clapped at the end. Yeah, we were so thankful. Had a little moment together, and then they unloaded the plane, and uh, actually, before long, they, they, they found us another plane to finish the last uh, little bit, and so the pilot and the crew did a, a great job. Even though we'd landed, we'd missed our target by about 300 miles, right? We were about 300 miles short, and... Um, But here's the deal. They trained for that. Yeah, they trained for that. And yes, they made it with one engine. But here's what else. We landed about 300 miles off course. We were a little over three hours late, which in the big scheme of things wasn't, you know, the end of the world. But it's not what we were planning to do. There was a lot of anxiety along the way. Why? Because planes are meant to fly with two engines. They need the power of two engines to do those things. And I want to just be super honest with you because a lot of you know this to be true. You can make it in your life without the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to scoot through life, right? You can be resourceful. You can be smart. You can trust in your resources. You can do all these things. Sure, you may miss the target every once in a while, Sure, you might fly a little slow or a little low sometimes. Sure, there might be a little extra anxiety along the way, but you can do it by yourself. But here's what I want you to know. You were made for more. You were made to be 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. His wind blows, and we raise our sail and say, blow me along. I want your power. And so that's my prayer for your life and for this church. This year, would we do everything that we can to get our boat and our sails ready, but then let's hoist those sails and let God's Spirit blow through and see what he wants to do in powerful ways. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the beauty of not only of the message of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your Holy Spirit, but thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are true and real and alive today. Though we cannot see you, would you allow us to hear your voice? Would you allow us to feel your presence? Can we see your work in our life? So I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today, Father, that we would be people of the Spirit, I pray, Lord, where there's struggles in our lives and things that you want to do, whether it's areas of character and change that you need to make in our life or whether it's a step of faith or something courageous that you're calling us to do, Holy Spirit, blow through and let us raise our sails and receive that and be powered by you. We love you, Lord, and we ask for your power in our lives. We open ourselves up to it in the name of the uh, the Savior Jesus. Amen.